Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. I would say probably more than anything, hook technology has changed the game in fishing. I mean, you go back, you know, 50s and 60s, you know, even all the way through the 80s and look at hook technology. And, you know, I still sharpen hooks now, but you're looking at the wire thickness, the strength of a hook, you you know, it's it's amazing. It's it shows how many fish were around because tarpon fishing, especially fly fishing for tarpon, you know, the guys would jump 60% or more off. Um, and hook a ton of them, but catch very little. And um, now, you know, we have chemically sharpened hooks and hooks of every shape and size to match every fly or bait, um, inshore, offshore, circle hooks, all of it. I think hook technology is, to me, like the single greatest advancement um, to aid in catching more fish. I'm Richard Black, and this is the Tom Rowland Podcast. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast today. We've got an awesome guest today. And when I say an awesome guest, I mean it. Richard Black is a guide in the Florida Keys, and many say that he is the best guide in the Florida Keys. He is a very humble guy, and he would never tell you that himself. But his tournament record is very impressive from many of the inshore tournaments uh, with all the different species and different tackle and different uh, rules and everything. He's managed to win or do well in many, many of those tournaments, as well as also venturing off into the offshore tournament and being able to do, do well in those. Now, being a great fishing guide is certainly not all about your tournament resume, but that is where the rubber meets the road. That's where you, you know. Like if you can do well in all of those tournaments with a variety of species at every different time of the year, both inshore and offshore, you obviously have a commanding knowledge 
over the water that you fish. And the water that Richard Black fishes is all of the Florida Keys. From the top to the bottom to Flamingo to offshore. He has really a very, very wide knowledge base on all of these fishes. Very, very impressive. As someone who tried to learn as much or tries to learn as much about the Florida Keys as I possibly can, Richard Black's knowledge of the Florida Keys is is really absolutely incredible. And it is a real honor to have him on the podcast because, you know, like I said, you're you're as a to be a great fishing guide, you don't have to be a tournament angler. It helps. And we talk about that in this conversation about how tournament fishing can speed up your knowledge, can speed up your learning, can create motivation for you to go to different areas. And it's done that for me. It's done that for Richard. It's done that for lots of, of, uh, of keys guides, but you don't have to be a great tournament fisherman to be a great guide where Richard is a great fishing guide is he is a great tournament guide and he's a great charter guide. I have been fishing with him. We've filmed a number of shows with him and he's a real pleasure to be with. He stays ice cold. He never gets rattled. He never gets angry. He never gets upset. He never yells. He is just ice cold and he makes good decisions. And uh, we talk about all of that, about how you can um, remain calm how you can make good decisions, how the tournaments affect everything. It's a fascinating conversation with truly one of the best fishing guides in the Florida Keys, Richard Black. I mean, I, I'd fished tournaments, you know, before as an angler, you know, as a kid growing up. And so I, I kind of knew about the strategy, but putting myself in that position and you, you really start to get a, a better grasp of, you know, I, I, as a kid, you know, I, I scouted and did all that stuff on my own and came up with strategies and always fished with a guide, you know, someone or a friend or something. So it's kind of that multi-thought process, you know, Hey, what about here? I don't know. Let's go over here. But when, when you put yourself in that position, um, then, then I think that's really what made the change. I know, um, I fished the slam the first time, you know, in, I want to say in probably 2011 mm -hmm. and we caught one fish <laughs> in the slam and that I, I, I just didn't know it enough. So I kind of devoted every summer, every available time taking people. Luckily I had people that wanted to go down there and trusted that I could put days together um, and figure it out. And, you know, just over time, just, cover ground from Key Largo to Key West and feel confident at any, any given point to go wherever. Um, and that's, that's a lot of water. You know, that's a lot of yeah. water to, to really have a, a commanding uh, knowledge over. And when you start winning tournaments in, in Key Largo and you start winning tournaments in Key West, that's, that's pretty awesome. Um, what do you think then, then at some point you decided you know, you've, you, I mean, and we're not just, I don't want to just kind of gloss over the, the other tournaments. I mean, there's the, all the big tarpon tournaments and the, the fall fly and the spring fly. You've done very well in those as well, right? Uh, we have, um, we've gotten most, if we haven't won a tournament, uh, as you know, with an angler, I think I've gotten most releases in every event except the golden fly. <laughs> so, um, 
whether, you know, it's a bonefish tournament or, uh, you know, the gold cup or, you know, uh, snook and redfish tournaments, you know, at, at some point or another, we've put together a good enough showing to put most releases up. Um, man, that's impressive. It's really, really impressive. And, uh, and then you move over and you try to try your hand in some offshore tournaments. What do you, what was the, why, why did you do that? Like why you, you're doing great in the inshore tournaments. What, what makes you want to try offshore? Um, I mean, I grew up offshore fishing a fair amount, uh, you know, being a mate on a couple of different private boats and we had fished some tournaments. Um, and I, I enjoy the challenge, you know, that that's one thing, even especially in the fall and winter months, um, you know, I, I'll, I might fish offshore a day or the next day we go back snooking red fishing or fly fishing for bonefish. And it's just that constant mix, you know, gets me going and wants me to try to do better. And same thing for offshore. You know, I, I, I like the challenge of it. I like trying to figure it out, trying to learn the, the process. And, um, you know, sailfish to me is, it's a little less dolphin fishing is a little bit there's skill involved, but there is some luck in just covering ground and finding something. Mm -hmm. I think sail fishing, um, especially competitive sail fishing in South Florida is, is as difficult as it gets as far as, you know, offshore tournament fishing and putting a team together and, you know, catching your bait and caring for your bait and all that. And, you know, that's, that's actually people ask what I like to do on my days off. And probably my favorite thing to do is to catch bait. <laughs> I, I just, I love catching bait and pinning them up and have all my bait cages set up for all different things. And Are you on the just, water right now? Where in your house? Um, at the moment we have a, a piece of property on the water that we're waiting to, uh, to build a house on, but our house before was on the water and you know, that's where all the bait the cages are. Yeah. Afternoon ritual was, you know, go down and feed the bait. So we're just getting to that season again, where in the next couple of weeks, I'll start building up, you know, stocking up on different baits and get them ready. There's so much to that, uh, to that, that a lot of people that, I mean, you, you see like a lot of fly fishermen, oh, you're just bait fishing, you know, it's not a big deal, but to know what goes into finding the bait, catching the bait, pinning the bait, feeding the bait, caring for the bait and making sure that that bait is ready for tournament day or charter day or whatever day you're going to use it. I mean, that is a, that's like a, a journey that it, it, it is. It's funny. You kind of differentiated too between charter and, and tournament days. Cause I have like, you know, your charter baits, which are good baits and your fed baits, but then you have your tournament baits that you haven't touched or messed with in a month. And they have, I mean, they're like bionic, they start getting <laughs> wider across the back and they're, they're very healthy. So, um, but yeah, there's a whole process to it and, and trying to figure out, you know, catching the different bait and where to go and trying to stay on top of it. And it, it's, you know, it's, it's a challenge just like all of it. So it, it's fun to me. So the people that I know that have, have been, are, that are the best at taking care of bait and they're, they're also the people that have killed the most bait. Um, <laughs> do you, have you had ups and downs uh, in your bait journey? Oh, for sure. I, 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 you learn a lot as far as, um, you know, temperatures for, for here, you know, I, I really don't pin up much bait until our water temp is a constant below 80. If it's, if we're like still at that 80 mark, 
you know, you can, you can lose bait, you can keep bait, but you'll lose some bait. But once we're in that seventies and in that fall winter pattern, you're, you're pretty good from that point on. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, trial and error over the years, you know, too much flow. You put all your bait in there. They look great. And three days later, they all die. You know, not enough flow that, you know, it's, it's a, there's definitely, like you said, you've killed a lot of bait to figure out how to keep bait alive. Yeah. So that was my next question is like outside of, outside of, uh, of, of the temperature, you mentioned flow, but what, what are the other, uh, kind of recipes that you've come across to, to be able to keep the bait and, and, and even the different kinds of bait require different, different things, but what, do, what they, have you learned? I mean, and, and this goes across from inshore fishing, offshore fishing, keeping bait is, you know, I remember fishing tournaments in lower keys and literally the bathtub in the hotel was full of shrimp and crabs and, <laughs> you know, you're icing them down and trying to keep it alive. But, um, you know, the, the biggest thing is handling, um, even your live shrimp, uh, people don't realize that when you're at a bait shop, if you get there first, when the, in the, the shrimp are in the tank and you pick them up and you don't take them out of the water, you leave them in the water and you're careful about how you handle them, your shrimp live better. And if you get there after 10 people have scooped them out and they set the net dry and they pick them out and they're flopping around your shrimp, like half of them die. Well, the same bit goes to your bait fishing. You know, we, we dip them out one at a time, um, use a, a real fine mesh net or we use, um, you know, a, a couple of these guys have come up with these like Isenglass nets where there's water that stays in it. So just reducing the stress on the fish and try not to take the slime off and the healthier it is when you set it in, the, the faster it's going to eat. And, you know, the, the more it eats, the healthier it gets. So, mm-hmm. and, and that is, how important is that as, as far as your success as a, as a tournament fisherman or a charter fisherman? Like it's, it's, I mean, that's 70% of the game is, is bait. And, and I mean, it, it's people joke or whatever. And if it was shrimp or hard to get, I have shrimp. I mean, it, I just, I've stockpiled for seven days and you go through them and you take the weak ones out and you divide it up. And, you know, I, I've, all summer, I, I have a bucket of crabs in the living room with the aerator. You know, it's a, there's a whole process to it, but it's a major, major battle is to have good bait. But when you have good bait, you're that that kind of brings you to that next level, and it just ups your success rating. Right. And um, so, how does Brooke, your wife, handle all the the crabs everywhere and the bait in the bathtub and other things that go along with <laughs> with this journey yeah she's she's poking fun at me at the moment but uh she she's luckily uh, um she understands <laughs> and she helps me catch bait a lot you know we actually in the winter time it's our date night we go goggle eye fishing and whatever and she's right there bibs and boots and if it's bad weather, she's going to go with me. She enjoys it too. So nice. Well, well I'm Brooke, lucky there. Yeah. Well, you're lucky in a lot of ways because Brooke comes from one of the most famous, most well-respected fishing families in the Florida Keys, the Dinkerts and um, Dave Dinkert, your father-in-law, Linda Dinkert, your mother-in-law. I mean, that is a fishing family. 
um, one of the things that I wanted to ask you later on, but I'll ask you now, what was it like to, to join that family as you're, you're a young up and coming fishing guide, you're, you're, you're going, uh, courting Brooke and you meet Dave Dinkert at the door. Well, it, it's kind of backwards <laughs> oh. because I, I, uh, well, I fished against Brooke as a kid, you know, in some of these junior and young adult tournaments. Uh, so I knew her then, but I actually knew Dave really well and probably spent more time talking with him than Brooke before we <laughs> got married. So we both fish out of Lorelei and, uh, you know, we, we were always you know, good competition. I, it, I enjoy good competition and he was tough to beat. He's Still tough to tough beat. To all beat, right. So. Yeah. He is tough to uh, beat. I mean, he, he just actually this weekend in the red bone, he, he knocked it out of the park and we, uh, we came in second behind him, but he's, he's still, still right there at top tier. So Dave, Dave, uh, you know, I fished next to him in a lot of these different tournaments and, and watched how he operates. And he is very tough to beat in any water. And then, uh, we had the opportunity to fish with him on the back of the boat. And I saw exactly why he's so hard to beat. He doesn't like to let any fish go by the boat. No, no fish should go uncaught. No fish. no fish should go uncaught. I mean, there's a little, you've been catching these nice fish the whole time. And then there's a little one. He's like, why, why aren't you throwing it that throw it, throw it that one, catch that one, catch all of them. <laughs> all of them. All of them need to be caught. <laughs> he, is, he is intense, man. And he knows so much about the Everglades. He's a really wonderful, uh, wonderful person to fish with. Um, I, I really enjoyed fishing with him. Do you and Dave ever get to go fishing? We haven't fished in a while, but yes, on occasions, uh, we probably fished more during COVID year than, uh, years prior. And it's, it was kind of fun because, uh, Brooke and Linda and Emmy are involved in that IWFA, which is the women's fishing association. Mm -hmm. Um, and they have this quest to catch these points and different species and, you know, different tackles. So we use a lot of like two, four and six pound and we were fishing offshore and, so we, we, we fished all of us together quite a bit, um, that year and we still fish every now and then, but it, it's, it's fun, fun, fun trading off and, and fishing a little bit. So. Yeah. We've talked a lot about tournaments so far. And the reason that, that, you know, I kind of start out with the tournaments is because, you know, it's just a test. It's just a test of, uh, of, of your skills. And it's kind of a test of, of strategy. And it's a test of planning with, with like what we're talking about with the bait. Um, but also it's a, it's an opportunity to, to learn. How much do you think the tournaments have helped you to get to where you are as a, as a guide and a fisherman? Do you think that you could know as much water without the tournaments? If you didn't have the I, reason to, to head down to Key West and you didn't have the reason to, to, you know, do these odd things at odd times of the year. Like we're going to have a, you know, a bonefish tournament at a certain time of the year. Well, maybe, maybe you don't normally fish bonefish at that time of the year or, you know, the tournaments always give you kind of a, a reason to do something that you might not have done normally. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I think fishing tournaments, uh, is, is definitely sped up the amount of time and learning areas. Um, I, I still really enjoy figuring stuff out. Um, like I, I just because the permits on a bank, you know, and it supposedly is only supposed to be there on the falling tide. I want to know where it goes on the rising tide. And, you know, so I, I spend a lot of time even not fishing a tournament just to know why, because I just want to understand everything. 
Um, but the just the frequency of tournaments and you know from Key West to Key Largo is definitely you, you hone your skills faster to figure it out. Um, and I think one big change that it does for your everyday guiding is it makes you uh, just like we talked about bad weather, tough fishing conditions, all of that. Well, you get those conditions when you're guiding and there are days that, you know, maybe it's iffy and I've had ang- you know customers ask, you know, you think we should really go. And, you know, if, if I don't have any confidence that we're going to catch fish, I will tell you, but the amount of times fishing in tournaments and what you learn and how you figure things out is, you know, we, we will have a good day. I mean, we, we can figure this out and, you know, there, there are days fish just don't bite, don't show up or whatever, but for the most part, um, and that, that's probably the biggest thing of being able to fish as many days as I do is, you know, figuring it out on days that it's tough. Mm-hmm. Is there a condition that you really just don't do well in? Is there one kind of Achilles heel that you look at and you're like, Ooh, this one's going to be really tough. Um, you know, that's, that's a good question. I, I don't, I don't necessarily, I fished in so many different wind directions, <laughs> you, you know, like if it's blowing 20 from the West, I don't mind it. You know, I, I just, you, you've learned stuff and you figure it out. But, um, that being said, the, the thing I don't like is when is a major temperature change or, or weather change. So if it's like beautiful for five days or 10 days of nice weather. And then all of a sudden it blows 25 miles an hour and the temperature drops 10 degrees. It's, it's that kind of change is, is probably my least favorite because fish, it takes them a day to figure it out themselves, what they right. want to do, where they want to be. And a lot of times you catch that one change in weather day and it's during a tournament or it's during the, the one day the guy comes down from wherever and you got to try to make that work. But a lot of times I think the fish are caught in between places and it it is definitely a challenge. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. At MidwayUSA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Yeah, that's what's going to happen this this time of the year. Like, that's getting ready yes. to happen. It's gonna you're going to get the first major cold front, and that is that is a tough time as you see it when you get that first major cold front. And let's just talk about the the flats right now. What do you see the order? I'm just kind of curious if you if you think that the order of things returning to the flats is the same that I, as I do, but would, do you notice that there's kind of an order? Like if you get a really bad cold front and there's basically nothing out there and then you're going to see this one fish show up and then another, and then another, and then another, do you ever notice that there's kind of an order like that? Yeah. It seems like, 
especially fishing the flats, uh, flamingo or whatever. I mean, you could be, we could have like four days of a windy cold front and you could see in the forecast, even today, it was kind of a little bit of that where we had four or five days of switching from South to West to Northwest to North. And almost every day was at 20 or better. And then this afternoon, it, it, the forecast was supposed to be less than 10 and switching Northeast. And it, it was like a light switch. I mean, I mean, the snook took a little bit to get active, but the reds were first and they, they were happy and enjoying on the flats. And then the snook came up and, you know, it, at least that's kind of the sequence I see in Flamingo more often than not. Um, and to me, tarpon are probably the, the, the wimpiest of weather fish, you know, <laughs> if it's blowing, if it's slick calm and it blows two miles an hour, they disappear. Yeah. You know, what other fish <laughs> can really do that? And that they, they do not like the weather, weather changes and all that. But I would say, um, snook and redfish are probably the most routine, you know, conditioned permit are extremely conditioned. They, they, if you see them there one tide or whatever, and conditions are right, then they come right back to the same spot. Uh, bonefish just like to go deeper and then they come take some a little bit more to get shallow again, but that's kind of, kind of what I see. Anyway. And then the wimpy tarpon. Yes. You're, you're right though. That, I mean, if, if it's nice and then that wind sh- turns around to the North and the, you get a little chill in it, they're, they're, they're done in that spot. Now you might find them somewhere else or they might be doing something different, but I mean, what they were doing is over in my yes. opinion. And then they're going, you know, you might have to luck into them somewhere else. And that's, those are the days where you learn though. Like you it go is. there and you I always called it going back to the well one, two, once too many times. And, and, you know, you go back there and there's a little bit fewer fish than there were the day before. And then you go back there the next day and, and they're just, they're just gone. They're not there. And sometimes I thought, well, maybe, maybe we put too much pressure on them, you know, but then I thought, well, I don't know. I think they just kind of moved out because of the weather temperatures and stuff. And then, then maybe you could find that place where they're transitioning to. And that was always, that was always really cool, um, to open a new door. Uh, and that's the way I thought of it too. It's like, you just open, you know, when you learn a new thing, it was kind of like opening a door to a room that you had never seen before. And then you kind of look in there. Have you had some, some big um, moments like that where you you've learned just a little thing that has opened up a, a, a whole universe of different fishing that you didn't even know existed. I mean, I know you have uh, to I, I, get to where I you think, are now. Yeah. I, I definitely have had that across all species. Um, and, and you constantly learn from year to year there's always little changes and, and just things you pick up. Um, I think I've learned more and had those bigger breakaway feelings with bonefish than anything, you know, trying to figure out their behavior and when the water's, you know, you get a tide that's four, four foot plus and everything's super deep, try to figure out, you know, where they go and what they do and stay with them. And, and I've just had a lot of breakthroughs with, with that fish, um, you know, things that surprise you and still surprise you, but. It's, um, you know, and, and it's like you said, it's, it's going back to the same spot to figure it out and not going back there at the same tide, but going back there at every phase of every tide to figure out where they go and, and why they're going there. That takes so much time. That's something that people may not realize that don't fish the keys that much or, or, you know, are not that familiar with it or, 
is that to go to the same spot on every phase of the tide, that takes a tremendous amount of time because sooner or later, you're not going to be in the month of, let's say, October anymore. You're going to try it and you're going to try it in another phase. And then you get, now you're in November, the weather's changed. And then you're kind of like, well, are they here because the weather's changed or are they here because this is a different stage of the tide? And so you kind of need to wait till the next year and remember, okay, now I'm going to hit this middle of the day on the outgoing tide. Now, are they going to be here? You know what I'm saying? Like it's, no, it's, and, and like I said, remembering it's, yeah, I mean, I, I don't, that's why I struggle in remembering people's names and I struggle <laughs> putting all that together. But if you tell me, just give me a hint on what we caught. I can pretty much tell you where, how, when all of that. And from year to year, that's one thing I'm pretty good at is just mem remembering how it was blowing Southwest. And, you know, I remember fishing this at dead low or whatever, you know, it just that adding that up, from years after, you know, year after year after year in different months, you, you just create this like encyclopedia of knowledge from, you know, every type of fish. And, and it, that you can't explain that. It's just something you have to see over and over to figure it out. Do you keep a journal at all? Any kind of written? Reminder? I don't really, other than just logging some, you know, certain days and stuff here and there. Uh, but I, I don't really keep a journal. I just, do you, do you think that that would help you if you did, if you had the discipline to, I mean, I know you got a family, you got all kinds of different things going on, but it would take about 30 minutes a day. Do you think if you put 30 minutes a day into, into journaling and just kind of just, just notes like went here, here and here, do you think that would it, help you or do you it think? definitely wouldn't hurt? <laughs> uh, I mean, that, that's for sure. <laughs> it would, it would be, you know, I, I, cause I know there's things you forget. Um, cause you know, you, you fish a spot and then you start to remember something again that you did five years ago, but it's, um, you know, I think all fish across the board from month to month do pretty much the same things, you know, within, within reason, you know, they might move a little bit bait does the same thing. Um, you know, certain times of the year, they're in certain places year after year. So, mm -hmm. um, it, it definitely, I, I'm, I'm sure it would not hurt and would probably help me out a little bit if I did it. <laughs> well, when, when I was getting started and I remember seeing like Steve Huff or somebody like that at Sugarloaf or one of the other guides that say, man, you see that guy over there? He's forgotten more than you're ever going to know. And I was <laughs> like, really, is that possible that somebody could forget more than, I mean, and then now, now later as I'm more mature, I'm like, yep, that was probably exactly true. He probably yes. has forgotten more than, <laughs> than I know. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you, you, you do forget a lot. And, you do. And then some people will, will remind you. And especially with like, like phones now, like if, if somebody takes a picture, it, you know, you can see the date and the time and everything like that. And sometimes people will say, oh no, the last time I was with you, we caught this or this. And like, really? I don't remember that. And they're like, yeah, here's the picture. And it would be like May 27th, four o'clock, whatever, you know? And you're like, oh, yes. now I see the picture I remember, but you know, you forget and you're like, oh, I guess, yeah, that's weird. But you, you do, you do forget, but you I do. think it all, I think it kind of, I think it's healthy actually, because you're remembering, you're remembering the things that are helping you put together the puzzle and you're forgetting the parts that maybe you already knew maybe that was maybe those were pieces of the puzzle that you already kind of knew and that was just a reinforcement of what you already knew so you're remembering the the super important things to you at that at that point in your yes. learning
you know, what, what tournament, um, when, or I don't know, fish could be a fish that you caught means the most to you. Do you have like a, a, a particular tournament that you had to work really hard or, or that, that was really a lot rewarding. of them that worked really hard, <laughs> all of them really, but, yeah. but, but one that was, was really rewarding. Um, you know, I, I think if winning your first major tournament is, is pretty rewarding. You remember that, um, that, that kind of makes a, a mark on you. The, um, you know, I, I've caught a few special fish that probably have stood out more than, than uh any specific tournament like what so that um let's see i well i fished with jim boker for quite a few years mm-hmm. and um you know his family and everything and we we caught 13 fish over 13 pounds together in that course of time and uh, bone fish yeah you know, all bone fish and we we caught a couple 14s and uh Never did quite break the 15, although I did catch, we caught a 15 and change with uh, his son, Jim Jr. And he was in a boat, which was kind of a cool thing. But so that, that fish stood out. Um, a couple big tarpon over the years has stood out. And I caught one bonefish that we didn't weigh um, that I would have loved to know the actual weight on. But it was, um, it was 35 to the fork. It looks like the picture right behind you. It, it is. It <laughs> is it? Is Put that yes. up towards the camera. So, 35. Yeah, I, I can grab it, but this fish was extra special. Um, I can give you the play-by-play of Jeez. Of, of that one. Oh, but, and, and that's second place. Way to go. It, 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 it is. It, <laughs> that's, it, that says something about the, the competitive nature of Isla Morata fishing right there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, let's hear about it. What, what about um, that fish? Well, that, that fish was a, uh, it was a customer of mine named John Kaiser and, um, he, he was an older guy, but just very lucky. He had really good days and he caught, he's caught super slams with me and he's a big bone fish and we, we've had a lot of really good days. And that fish in particular was, um, it was, I caught it at Shell Key, you know, not, no secret spot by any means. It's downtown Alamorada, just kind of the Mecca of the big fish, but, um, uh, it was blowing 25 from the Northeast, which is the perfect big fish day when we had a lot of big fish around and we had a ripping tide and you're pulling into the wind and soft bottom. And there was this fish mudding. And I think we threw at them about 17 times. <laughs> because it was so windy and you can't on those fish, the, the way we big fish most of the time is we throw them with a lead and let them smell it. It's not a sight thing as much as a smelling thing. So they were there. I mean, they're as tough as anything gets. Um, I don't hunt that much, but I assume that, you know, the big game animals can smell you and figure out. And it, it's, it would be, as, it would be compared to anything in that world. And, um, uh, this fish, we throw right. He would turn left. He'd throw left, turn right. You couldn't line him over the top. I couldn't get around him. And we just kept trying and guessing, you know, picking out which way he was going to go. And um, we actually I made a bad cast on him once. And it sailed just barely over his left shoulder, but he was head down tailing and close to two feet of water. 
and the shrimp, it kited. So he had the rod up too high and the fish lifted his head up and the shrimp kited across his face <laughs> and he just turned and pegged it an instant bite. And, uh, I was way up on the bank and that fish ran. He ran almost to the edge of the channel, which was about 140, 150 yards. And I thought to myself, there is no way I could pull that far. If he gets to the channel, we're done because he's going to drop over the edge and it's 10 feet deep and lobster traps and you're going to lose them. And he didn't, he ran all the way to the edge and he stopped and he turned right back around and he reeled slack for about what seemed like five minutes, but it was probably 45 seconds. <laughs> and the fish swam straight under the bow. I watched him go right by the boat and go right back up on the flat. And uh, he went about 75 yards there and we were tight. And then he did one of these half circles up there where they're digging to the line catches on every piece of seaweed on the bottom. And, uh, but luckily it made that big run first. So he was kind of out of energy because the, the end of that big turning run, he would, he was stopped. It was basically like you would palm the spool because there was so much drag on him and he was out there flopping and head standing and he couldn't go anywhere kind of waddling around. And we got tight to him a couple laps around the boat and we grabbed him, but it, it was, that was a cool fish. Man, that is a monster. I mean, that thing is so thick and fat and those days, what year was that? Do you think? Uh, that was in, um, that was in 12. Yeah. I think so it was in 12, 12 or 13. And between 12 and 13, the, the bone fishing's changed considerably in Isla Mirada. Where do you think we are now with the bone fish in Isla Mirada? I think downtown. I mean, just, just um, that particular area, not, not just, all over the just Keys. downtown. Yeah. I think we have a decent volume of small fish. Um, I think we actually had more fish in 15, 16, 17, those years. Um, and we've kind of had a little bit of a downturn, I thought around town, but they just don't seem, we haven't got anything bigger. You know, we've mm -hmm. caught, caught one that was like nine pounds this year. And that's one of the bigger ones I've caught around here in a while. Um, you get a lot of 20 to 25 inch fish. So decent size, but not, not the, the historical giant fish that we had. Yeah. Um, and in your opinion, um, I mean, it, 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 common sense would say that the cold front killed those fish. Do you think that there's any possibility that the cold front just pushed those fish out and they just left that area and didn't come back? Or do you think that they, they probably don't exist anymore? Uh, we caught big fish after the cold front. So I, it didn't kill them all. Um, I mean, it definitely killed some. I remember we were out there at alligator after the freeze and there was a 12 pounder mm. doing donuts on the surface. Um, you know, so it definitely, it, it killed a bunch. Um, I think that we lost a large year class, probably like a 15 year stretch of recruitment in Isla Mirada where, you know, those, those big fish that we were catching 12, 13, 14, and 15, you know, 2016, I guess, was about the very end of seeing any of them. And there was very few that year. But, you know, if you add up the years, you know, maybe they're 25, 20, 20 to 25 years old. And that's, I think, nearing their life expectancy. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think 
they die out and we didn't have anything to replace them. Right. Right. But on the other hand, um, you know, the lower keys bone fishing is phenomenal. Oh, it's amazing. There, there, there are more fish there than than there were when I first started guiding. There were not many bonefish in Key West when I first started guiding. It was it was a weird thing. Like you would you would have to go to Sugarloaf area or north, you know, to to find many bonefish. There just weren't many. And now there are a whole bunch, and there are a lot of you know numbers of of smaller fish. What do you think? Do you have any kind of um, theory on what's going on? I, I don't, I think there's a lot of things going on. Um, you know, Bonefish Tarpon Trust has done quite a bit of research on it. They've done you know, fin clippings. I know when they were doing a fin clip program, we fin clipped like over 300 of them from Key West to you know, Key Largo. And then they did this genetic study to figure out where our fish come from um, and figuring out that a lot of come from the Yucatan, the south side of Cuba those places um and, and the north side of cuba but you know i think maybe their you know better conservation efforts um you know not netting as much and maybe their population getting bigger helps give our population get bigger um, i think storm events help too i think you know we get certain hurricanes that change current patterns and uh, drive in juvenile bonefish into certain areas. Um, I think that happened a lot in the lower keys, mm -hmm. you know, back we had that run of, they seem like eight years of every year getting storms that maybe not a major storm, but some type of storm that came through the keys um, coming up between the Yucatan and Cuba. So maybe pushing a lot more larvae our way and they grew up and populated the keys better. Mm -hmm. uh, Water quality issues may be better in the Keys, you know, central sewage system and people just paying attention more um, may help. Um, so I, I, I can't really pinpoint or say it would be any one thing, but maybe 10 different things. That's yeah. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. It's only a kick. A jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. 
Well, there are very few people that have their finger on the pulse of, of the entire Florida Keys the way that you do, all the way to the, from the Marquesas to Biscayne Bay. I mean, you, you are familiar with all of that, if not, you know, uh, really familiar, like tournament winning familiar with all of that water. So uh, it's just interesting to hear kind of, I almost ask everybody, like, what do you think's going on with the, with the bonefish? Because like, it's not all doom and gloom. You have like so many bright spots, like all of these smaller fish that are in, in, in huge numbers that we've just didn't have at one point, we just didn't have them. And it's pretty exciting really. Um, it is. Yeah. I, uh, I, I really like, um, I really like to see those, those bone fish and, and it sure does make, make a day a lot easier. Um, you know, when, when you're, when you're finding that and making, you know, making a day more, interesting with like the opportunity to slam and, and, and all of that. Um, do you have any, uh, I'm just going to change the subject a little bit. You're a guy that is operating at a really, really high level fishing with you. You are ice cold. You, you, you don't get rattled. We were out there filming just recently and, you know, you just stayed so calm and I know part of that is because you have so much experience. You're out there so often. You've seen all these different conditions. You've also seen that, you know, more often than not, you know, you're, you're going to make things happen. And if you don't make things happen, then that's, that's fishing. I mean, that's kind of the way that it seems to me. But when, when I'm thinking about when I was in the same place that, that you're, well, I've never been in the same place that you're, you're, you're in. You've won way more tournaments than I ever won. But I would get a little more nervous i would get a little more um kind of maybe aggressive intense impatient you can use all different kinds of words to describe the way that i felt and you just stay super calm why how do you do that (laughs) i want to know i want to know how you do that (laughs) i i don't i don't know exactly how but yeah how how you saw me on the boat is for the most part how every day whether it's a day of fishing or a tournament or whatever. And I think a lot of it has to do with just that constant, I'm going to fish my plan. And I, one thing is I, I'm just, I'm very patient. Sometimes I've been, I know, I know I have been in a couple of tournaments cause I waited too long. I've been too patient and basically burn the day up. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's the, that's the balance, right? I mean, like we it, were it sitting is. up there, we go to the lower keys. We're sitting there waiting for these bonefish. I know this is a good bonefish spot. You know this is a good bonefish spot. The bonefish know this is a good bonefish spot. We everything is is good. We got good light. We've got good tide. Everything seems like it would be happening, but it's not. And we sit there and we sit there and we sit there and we sit there and we sit there. And it's like, okay, I'm thinking, all right, well, how long are we gonna sit here before we just burn up the day? Like we and and I had a lot of confidence in you, a lot of faith in you, but I'm kind of thinking, man, if that's me, I'm going to just start pulling around in circles or doing something, but you just stay there and just, just stay. And it's like this real, that's the real balance of being, you know, a successful guide is knowing when to stay, knowing when to leave. And there was and, this. And, and having, having total confidence in your plan, right. you, you have to have confidence in what you're doing and just stay with it. You can't. And that's one thing I I think even for tournaments or whatever, regular days, if I come up with my plan, which I have a game plan before the day starts, um, you know, sometimes that changes first thing in the morning, if the weather's 
you know, we get storms mm-hmm. or something and it changes your way, but I'm sticking to my plan. And the, probably the times that I have done the worst is I've second guessed and not stuck with my plan. So, <laughs> I, I mean, it, you know, occasionally you have to call an audible because of a weather change or something, but for the most part, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I always say I plan to fish and I fish my plan and that's See, it. That's where we're similar is that, and, and that's what I would do. I would have a plan and it was do or die. We're going to do this plan or die trying. Like I just had, had, that was my plan. And then when I started fishing with Rich, I couldn't believe what was happening. I, I couldn't believe how he fished. And you know what? It was the opposite of my plan, but I kept my mouth shut and I'm watching and I'm like, well, damn, it worked. And we'd be riding by something and he would just, you know, it's like, okay, we're headed here and we need to go as fast as possible to get there. So we have as much time to fish. And all of a sudden he's just wheels around and it's like, what? He's like, I saw a bird over there. Yeah, so our plan is 90 miles Over that here. way. And he's like, let's just check this out. Like, we don't have time to check this out. But damn, if it didn't work. Like, you know, you just get so you just get so laser focused on on what you do. And then you fish with somebody else, which a lot of people don't have that opportunity. A lot of guides don't have the opportunity to fish with other guides very often. And so you develop this strategy that of your own, but it's just been very interesting to fish with rich over the years and just see that's how he does it, man. He, he will change his plan like, like that, like, like, like the wind blows. I mean, and I was much more like, like you, like, this is my plan. I'm sticking to it. And to deviate from that plan almost always caused me problems. Almost always. And, and, you know, I always say to a couple of customers I fish with, regularly in some tournaments and stuff, you know, if we practice day practice fish for two days or three days or whatever, you know, however that might, sometimes it's just a day, my practice day, I am not fishing what I plan to fish. Mm, yeah. I, I'm just, I'm fishing totally off the wall. I'm hoping that maybe we find something that I'm missing, but knowing that we're probably not going to catch much, maybe see very little, but you know, that that's just the way now work it. Would you, would you do it like that? Because you didn't want anybody to see you going to your other spots. Does that play into it at all? No, it's not so much, you know, other people seeing me there. It's, I don't want to harass the fish mm-hmm. that I'm planning on catching. And now, I, even I'm, if you, even if you were just like, like say the baby tarpon was, was a fish that like in the slam tournament or something, you wouldn't just want to just go check on them and, and look and not even make a cast. Just, just make sure that they were I, in there. I'm, most of the time, no. I just I have confidence where they're going to be, and I might do that other places. And if we see a bunch in another place, like don't even cast. Like we're just looking, and that's it. You know, I, I say we're looking today. We're not fishing. So I like yeah, that's, it. That's the difference. That's a that's a great thing. And then then whatever you find that day is like gravy. That's like that's the yeah. Goal. That's your Actually, bonus. That's the bonus. Yes. Um, well, and we're we're going to run out of time here in a minute. So I do have some other questions that I want to ask you. Uh, so I'm going to change the subject a little bit. Do you have any non-negotiables in your day? Do you know what I mean non, by that? Non-negotiables yeah. as far as just what we're doing and how we're doing it. It doesn't or? even have to apply to fishing things that you're going to do today. When you wake up, there's something that you need to do or you're going to do, or you're, you're planning to do that, when your head hits the pillow at night, you've gotten that done. 
and and there's yeah. just not it's, it's a non-negotiable there there's no getting around it that's something you're going to do every day rigging and and just day prep stuff for the most part especially for tournaments everything is done during daylight i mean where i'm by the time it's nighttime everything is ready to go where i just load the boat and we're we're ready to fish um, that that's one thing that's you know you know the boat there's full fuel it's I you know, everything we need to make the day right is, is ready. So that, that would probably be my main, main non-negotiable. What about, to, what about non-fishing? Um, <laughs> there I, is I, no, non, did Brooke say there yeah, is no non-fishing? <laughs> there's no, no non-fishing. So that that's, there's not a lot of non-fishing. Um, you know, I used to run, um, in, in college. And so that, that was, something I tried to stay pretty regular with and fished a bunch at the same time. So a lot of times I'd get up and run at five and then start my day. So that, that was kind of a routine based thing. That's what I did too. I had to get it in. I had to get it in early because if I didn't get it in early, man, if you come home after a day of fishing and you hit that air conditioning, you have to have discipline. Like, (laughs) amazing amount of discipline to come home from a hard day of fishing in the summertime, hit the AC, put on your running shoes and go back out into the freaking surface of the sun out there and run. And it is the surface of the sun that time. Uh, (laughs) I know. So I would even, I would even like, even if I wasn't able to run in the daytime, I would have my running shoes in the car. And before I would even walk in, I might park my boat at the house and then put the shoes on and go. But if I stepped in that house, it was over. It was over. Yeah. You lay down, you take your shirt off and you lay down on the tile floor and just try to cool yourself down. It's just the, the that is, that is the surface of the sun. You're fishing on the surface of the sun. It's, uh, it's funny. Um, do you, I wanted, I wanted to, I came up with this question because I wanted to know what you, what you thought about this. If you, if you had an interesting response, what do you think that the single greatest innovation that affects your fishing that's happened in your lifetime? What do you think that is? Single greatest thing that affects fishing. It could be anything innovation. It could be, you know, I don't know, piece of equipment. It could be whatever knowledge. Um, I, I would say probably more than anything hook technology has changed the game in fishing. And I mean, you go back, you know, fifties and sixties, you know, even all the way through the eighties and look at hook technology and, you know, I still sharpen hooks now, but you're looking at the wire thickness, the strength of a hook, you, you know, it's, it's amazing. It's, it shows how many fish were around because tarpon fishing, especially fly fishing for tarpon, you know, the guys would jump 60% or more off, um, and hook a ton of them, but catch very little. And, um, now, you know, we have chemically sharpened hooks and hooks of every shape and size to match every fly or bait, um, inshore, offshore circle hooks, all of it. I think hook technology is to me like the single greatest advancement, um, to aid in catching more fish. That, that's what I would have to say. That's a great answer. That's not what I thought you would say, but once you start explaining it, it's like, yeah, well, that is definitely one because man, when I first started fishing for permit, we used to lose a lot of permit because we used to fish with a, with just a, a, a mustad J hook mm-hmm. and they would, they would, and you're fishing with mono as well. And the permit would 
grab it and you know the angler would reel or set the hook or whatever and come back with with just part of a shell that yep. used to happen all the time and i mean or all the time or, right you know. all the time and you're like oh he really ate it you know i guess i need to tell him to reel a little faster or whatever and then you know with the new hooks that doesn't happen that often in braid yeah because even you know braid makes a huge advancement but without i mean with a very sharp hook you can on mono you can still catch fish i mean it, it it's it's definitely usable absolutely um, now, what about um if, if there was another advancement what would you think what would you say it would be um I mean, I, I would say for me, for as much as I pull just the advancement of technology in a push pole, you know, the carbon fiber, you know, graphite mixes, all that. It's, it's what you have. It's what I, it's the only object I have in my hands eight hours a day, <laughs> you, you know? And I mean, that that's, if you're pulling with something that's even a pound heavier, it, it makes a huge difference. And you know, how strong they are and what you can do and manipulate the boat without breaking it. That's a pretty, as far as just helping me, that's a huge advancement um, without adding to boat technology because boat technology is a whole different game, but that, that, you know, as boats get more and more advanced, I mean, it's, it brings a whole new meaning to a technical polling skip. What would you say would be rude behavior from a client on the boat? Um, <laughs> there's, there's a lot, <laughs> there, there's a fair amount of responses to that. Um, I, I would say probably to me, it's losing faith. You know, it just somebody that just constantly, you know, questioning or asking or, you know, whatever it is, you know, you, you, if, if you're putting 110% into your day and it, there are days it doesn't work, you know, as, as a, on the other side, the person on the fishing rod side, you have to see, and you know, there, if you're putting in everything you can to it and it, the day just didn't work and it does occasionally happen, you know, try to be positive with the day. And even if it's a good day and you, you know, if it's a small fish or whatever, but that's all you can find is small fish. You just be positive positive just be positive that's it negativity it, it just drives the day down it makes it harder makes you just not work as much so I, yeah that, that's what i would say i was gonna say peeing on your push pole because it's the only yeah, thing that you well, got that, in your hand all you know for eight hours yeah, somebody's peeing yeah. all over it you're like dude come on it, 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 it does it does happen that's probably one of the fastest <laughs> comments out is not on that side on the other side yeah or, or, <laughs> <laughs> pee in the middle of the boat. I don't care. I'm not going to roll around in the middle of the boat, but yeah. don't pee on my push pole. I mean, yes. come on. I, I give you a cup or something. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny, man. Um, let's see here. So do you have any, um, you, you've won all kinds of tournaments. You've, uh, you, you're, you ventured into the offshore. Do you have any goals that you have not accomplished at this point in your career? Uh, there's always goals that I have not. I can't, I mean, there's every day something. Um, but yes, I, I would say I, I would like to get better at offshore, you know, I mean, as far as tournament scene and, and all of that, um, you know, I, I would like to better myself and continue to 
to learn and try to be competitive in those events. So that that's one thing I would like and moving forward on. Um, and then the biggest thing to me is just, you know, keeping consistent with everything. I think that's, that's the biggest challenge and you, you see it, you know, across guiding or in any sport, um, it's, it's very difficult to keep consistent. And, um, that's a challenge that I've kind of made myself, you know, for future is to be consistent at the game. So that's kind of interesting that you say that because you want to get better at offshore, which means that, you know, obviously you're going to need to spend more time out there. You're going to need to do it more. I would imagine that's how I know how to do, how to get better at anything. And when you do that, you're not spending as much time inshore. And then when you go down and you you want to learn the lower keys, you're not spending as much time in Flamingo. And then when you want to do, you know, it, everything, there's only so many days, there's only so much time. And so when you put your focus in one place, you're taking your focus off of another place, yet you say that you want to be consistent. So that's one of the most interesting things I think about you and your, your breadth of knowledge and your, your, your command of the water. You know, you just know so much water. You stay consistent through all of that and offshore and the tournaments and, you know, charters. That's a very difficult balance to strike. How do you, when you say you want to stay consistent, what do you think the, the, how do you do that? Like when you're trying to stay consistent in all of those areas? I think some of that consistency comes with the challenge to me. Um, you know, if, if I did the same thing, if I just park fished every day, I don't think I would actually be as consistent as I am um, by not doing it every day. I think it, it challenges myself. It, it, you know, you're, you're always trying to make and learn things while you're doing it. So let's say I'm going to fish in the lower keys for a week. And then the next week, you know, I'll be up here in the upper keys. You know, if, when I'm in the lower keys, I'm focused on the lower keys. I'm not thinking about, you know, what Flamingo or anything else. It's I'm 110% there. And then when the day I'm leaving, I'm already thinking, I would do it a lot. I've, I've, scroll through the tides. What's the tide flamingo? What's the tide, you know, around Alamrata? I'm already trying to plan the day. And then I'm focused in on that. And a lot of days, a lot of weeks for me, even charter fishing, that might happen all three things or four things in one week. (laughs) So it's, it's going from one thing to the next. And I think the challenge makes me consistent. And the, the, the variety, is that what keeps it interesting? To me, it is. Yeah. Variety and even just tackle, you know, different tackles, um, you know, light tackle, fly, spin. I, I don't care what it is, just being ready with with that, the difference and and uh, and working at it. But, yeah, it's it's always different to me every day. That's awesome. And and is that what keeps you motivated? The 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 consistency and just all the variety and just kind of keeping your finger on the pulse. Is that does that keep you motivated or do you have another? something else driving you no that keeps me motivated i i, I have a true love of the game <laughs> so it, whether and it, I, I don't have to fish tournaments i do it because i like the challenge of it um and i i just i love any aspect of it so all of it i want to try to get better at and when you love something and have that much passion for it i think it it shows no matter what you do yeah well it shows with you it shows with you you're you're a real 
um, you're a real expert at what you're doing. And, um, it's, it's really fun to fish with you just from, from my perspective of, of knowing how difficult it is to know Isle Marana, know the park and know the, know the no motor zones and to know Key West and to know offshore and to know all of the things that you have proven to know as well as anyone out there. Um, it, it's, it's impressive. And, um, and then you handle yourself really well with it. Like you're just, you're very humble guy you just you know i don't know you've won every tournament in the keys and <laughs> and well, not every tournament well <laughs> you 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 have won a considerable amount of tournaments in the keys and um I, I would like to know what they all are i wish i had that list that you have i would like to see it um because i know i know you know when you do it for a long time you you just you know you pick up one here and one there and over a career it's it's become incredibly impressive what you've managed to do and and then you handle yourself well have you ever had any um any difficulty when you're starting to be successful in these was it ever difficult for you like um when with the success of of winning the tournaments like did people anybody start treating you differently did anybody um did you have to wrestle with that a little bit ever no i i don't never really had any issues with people. And that, that's one thing that, you know, I, I, I try to like everybody, you know, whether it's upper keys, lower keys and, you know, having a positive attitude and not stepping on people's toes and learning stuff on your own and spending the time. I think that gets rewarded by gaining people's respect, you know, no matter where you are. And, uh, you know, if, if you come in, you know, guns blazing and you're, you're staring at other people and trying to figure stuff out and not spending the time on your own. Um, you know, I, I, that's not the way to gain respect. And as you know, as good as anybody, you keys guides are as, uh, as kind of picky and, you know, opinionated as anywhere. And, um, it's, it's just, it's nice to be liked. And, uh, I, I like, you know, everybody knows I like fishing and I'm not trying to, you know, beat out anybody. I just, I just want to fish. That's it. Well, you're doing a great job with it, man. And it's, uh, it's, it's fun to watch from the sidelines and I, I love to, uh, occasionally be able to share the boat with you. It's, it's, uh, it's really fun. You're, you're a great uh, fishing guide. Always enjoyable spending time in the boat with you as well. So. <laughs> well, we'll have to do it again. We'll have to do it again. Yes. I want to, um, I want to go someplace that we've never been. You'd take me to one of the, uh, I don't know. We need to explore an area together because I, I, well, I did want to, I did want to ask this question. I know we're getting close to running out of time. Um, and I want to be respectful of that, but when you, how do you explore a new area? Like, do you have like a, a method that you use or do you just wing it? Um, kind of wing it, but for the most part, you use everything that you've learned to, you know, to figure things out. So, you know, everywhere fish is somewhat, there are little things that fish the same. So if I go into an area, you know, I'll look at it and you, you pull up the Google maps or whatever the night before, and you know, you scroll around and you say, Oh, that looks pretty good. Let's go try that out. And, you know, it looks like it's a shallow point. So maybe we fish that, you know, a higher tide or lower tide, maybe these fish go out here. So that, that's kind of how I go about learning something new. Um, and then again, trying it, you know, high tide, low tide, 
this win, that win, and then you, you develop your spot or you roll it out. Um, that that's, you know, it's just, Hey, that looks like you said with rich, you know, running by, Hey, that looks good. Let's go check that out. It's kind of on charter days. Occasionally, you know, you, I run by someone like, Oh, let's stop here for a minute, pull it. And you find something or you see a fish and you think, well, maybe if I came back here at this tide, it'd be better. And, uh, that, that's how I've kind of learned stuff. And, you know, that having uh Brooke and Emmy really in this, uh, women's like tackle thing, we've done a lot of freshwater fishing and I'm not familiar with freshwater. And the last couple of years, we've spent a lot of time, you know, driving all over the state and the Southeast and fishing North Carolina. And, you know, I, I hear from certain guides up there, whatever, and you can't catch trout, you know, it's this time because it's too hot or whatever. And it's like, well, they got to go somewhere. So you start same thing. Well, if you're looking for bonefish and it's hot, they go deep and they like this current, whatever, and you catch trout, you know, it's, it, it works across the board on everything. Um, and the more time you put in, the more little things you pick up and the easier it becomes to learn stuff. That's awesome. Is there, is there, uh, is there anything that you've kind of developed, um, later in your career that, if you had known that early, you would have progressed a lot faster. Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's, there's a lot of things, um, you know, it, from, I mean, fishing, you know, snook and redfish, just learning behavior stuff on them. Um, not, uh, not being afraid of the wind. I mean, that that's, you know, you start out guiding, you're like, well, every, every, we got to fish the lee side. You can't go out in the wind or it's too windy to fish out there on the flat. And I think I've just become less or more fearless as far as going for stuff. Um, and I think that's made the biggest difference is if you want to go somewhere and you think about running, don't say, just go for it. Just don't. And, and don't be afraid of the wind. <laughs> Unless it's one inch deep. Don't go for it. Well, yeah, but. <laughs> As far as wind goes and weather goes, if, if you have confidence, something's going to be there, you know, don't, don't let the wind scare you. And, um, yeah, it, it goes, I mean, I could name tons of things, little things over time that figured out that I, I would have caught more or won this tournament or whatever, you know, it's. Do you think that those things that you think about like that are, are those the, the driving I mean, for me, like the, the tournaments that I didn't win that I missed by one fish, if we had just caught that one fish that got away, we would have won the tournament. Or if we had, you know, I, I messed it up at the net or, or, you know, and we were right there. And, and it's those things that drove me more so than, oh, I won. And it felt so good to win that I want to do it again. It was more like, man, we were right there and we fumbled at the goal line. Like those yes. were the, those were the, those were the motivating things for me rather than, yeah, you know, I've won this tournament twice. I want to win it three times. Nobody's ever won it three times or something like that. Yeah. Um, it's not, it's not so much like you, I, it's not as much about winning the tournament. And that goes back to kind of what I said before is when I set a goal for a tournament. And even if we win it, if I didn't reach my goal, I, I want to understand or try to figure out, you know, what mistake I made to not get there. Um, and that, that goes, kind of with, with every tournament or every day is, you know, what, what, 
what can I do to better myself to reach that goal or beat my goal? I always want to beat my goal. So, um, well, you know, what's interesting in, in this type of fishing is like if we were bass fishermen or whatever, everything is on your shoulders as the captain, as the angler, as the sole person in the boat. There's only one person in the boat. In these tournaments, you have an angler and there's this relationship that you have with your tournament angler and the guide. And that relationship is so important and you can mesh and you can flow like water or you can have the greatest guide and the greatest angler and they really don't do so well together. And then you see those two split apart, get another and and they both do great. You know what I'm saying? Like that relationship, describe that relationship of, of your most successful, um, kind of pairings as a, as a guide and an angler. What, what's different? How does one work really well and one not work that well? Um, I think, I mean, you, you described it really well on, on how things work or don't work. Um, you know, being able to have trust in what you're saying, or, you know, if I say cast at 11 o'clock and you see a fish closer and it's at 1230 or one o'clock, cast at the one at 11. Don't, you know, just go with what I'm saying. Cause maybe I see a school more or whatever, and you know, a happier fish or big, whatever it is um, that, that goes a lot. And I would say in tournaments and regular days and all of it, there is a large percentage of fish that, you know, even great anglers, whatever don't see, you know, it, it's a walkthrough you know, you're fishing by Braille and, and, you know, you're point your rod left, right, throw it as far as you can. You know, I, I try to calculate in the wind uh, on a cast um, just, and then, you know, I'll say far as you can stop it, you know, real, whatever. And when you fish with someone a lot, they start to understand, like I have certain things like throw it, everything you got is everything you got or throw it real far you know, short, you know, you understand what those distances are just from fishing with one another for a while. So, you know, that there's seconds there that you save, um, just from developing a relationship with one another and knowing what your one o'clock means or how far you want me to throw it or, you know, all, all that. And there's plenty of mistakes and you, you, you know, I always try to talk it, you talk through like what, what were you seeing there, you know, or, yeah, I just screwed up. You know, that wasn't where I wanted it to go or, you know, what, and you, you better yourself from every event, um, whether it's a regular day of fishing or a tournament or anything. And even the guy that fishes a day a year, you know, ask questions, you know, understand why you didn't catch that fish. Um, you know, no fish is safe kind of mentality. Try to try to catch everything. That's Dave Dinkert 101 right there. Yeah. No fish is safe. We're catching every one of them or we're going to try anyway. All right. Well, Richard, man, this was awesome. Really one of the best, uh, one of the best podcasts I think we've ever done is really, really fantastic. You're great at it. And, uh, you're really, a, a really accomplished fishing guide. Got a lot of respect for you. And, uh, it was an honor to have you on. Oh, well, I really appreciate you inviting me on. And, uh, this was a, a nice experience. All right. We'll do it again, man. We'll do it again. Sounds great. All right. Thanks, Richard. Thank you. See ya. Pursuing wild game in wild places. 
Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. In Wild Country, rules were not created by man. Don't miss Wild Country, Wednesdays from 7 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Primos. Speak the language. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.